Remain standing, take your Bibles, and let's turn them to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read a a portion of the uh, foretelling of the birth of Christ, and then we'll go over to Luke chapter 2 and read that wonderful account this morning uh, as we consider a simple Christmas story this morning. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 26. This is God's word to us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then over to Luke 2, the beginning of the chapter there. We'll read down through verse 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this record of of such an amazing event. And we pray that as we take a few moments to consider the things before us, we ask for your blessing. We ask for uh, hearts that are receptive to, to hear these good tidings of great joy that are for all the people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, beloved people of Christ this morning, you've probably all heard of the position of the town crier, right? Back before the days of cell phones and, or the internet or television or even daily newspapers, the way that break, I mean, all the way back to ancient Rome, the way that breaking news, important news was often transmitted was very often through the work of what came to be known as the town crier. They had different titles in different areas. Uh, but with a, with a bell, similar to the one that we use for, for Sunday school, I gave thought to bringing it up here and demonstrating, but don't like using props in, in sermons. You know the bell. You know the sound. You know how it gets your attention. Well, they would use a bell. In some instances, there were some areas where they would ring a gong, uh, different ways that they would use to get attention. But they would use something to, to get the people's attention. And very often in the, the way that we're familiar, the context in which we're familiar, it would be accompanied by, Hear ye, hear ye, oye, oye, which was a call for attention and for silence. Well, did you know that the same position exists on a cosmic level? A kind of cosmic town crier. The position in the heavenly realm is not called a town crier, but they have a title. The title is angel. The word angel means messenger. And we read throughout scriptures of these amazing beings called angels Beings created by God, created for God, uh, serving God. There are different types of, of angels that we read about in the Bible and different tasks that are given to them. But one of the primary tasks of the most common kind of angel, if you will, in relation to men throughout the Scripture is, as their name suggests, as God's messengers to them, to man. Think of the angels that came and announced to Abraham the, the doom pronounced upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Several times there were angels that appeared to Daniel. Uh, to Zechariah, an angel come and announced several things to him. In the book of Revelation, there are many places, many mentions of angels revealing, bringing messages of, of great and glorious and terrifying things to John as he wrote the Revelation. And of all those angels, as we've had opportunity to read them in the Scripture, there are only two that are mentioned clearly by name. 
There's a third that is referred to by several names and titles and descriptions, but the two that are given names for us are Gabriel and Michael. By the way, children, I'll put to you a task again this morning. That third angel that's known by several different titles, several different um, names, several different descriptions, come and tell me who that is after service this morning, if you can. But today... We're going to consider the work of a particular angel, a group of angels. I want to take you back, as you might expect in a Christmas message, about 2,000 years ago to a night when God calls one particular angel, probably Gabriel, although his name is not given in in the record here, that the time had come, the fullness of time, Paul calls it, the time had come for him to perform a special task, to come to earth and to be God's messenger to proclaim a singularly important and glorious message. And he hastens to do it. That's the scene in heaven. Meanwhile, on earth, we read, or we read in the very familiar words of Luke chapter 2 this morning, we read first about a birth, a normal birth. There's nothing miraculous about the birth. The conception was miraculous. The birth is a normal birth. Nothing unusual about it, except that it takes place not at the Israeli pediatric hospital or the Bethlehem birthing center. It takes place not in a home, perhaps. We'll see in a moment that maybe it did. But not at the local hotel. But traditionally it took place, or we understand it as taking place, out in a field or more likely in a cave. Uh, But it was more likely a humble personal residence. The guest rooms uh, were what was full. A typical house in the um, lower class portions of Jerusalem would be like a rectangle divided into three sections. There would be a guest house on one side, there would be a main living center in the other, and at the other end there would often be a place to keep animals. And very often there would be a, like an opening in the wall so that you could feed your animals without having to go out and go around to do that. And what the, the word that is used as the inn, or, or translated as the inn, is referring to those guest rooms. And they were all full. Whatever it is, everything was full to the point where Joseph and Mary had to take refuge and to give birth to their baby, Mary did, in one of those other places, a place more appropriate for animals than for the king of glory. And what strikes us, I think what should strike us as we enter into this, is, is, the, is that this scene is remarkable in its unremarkableness. If we, we look at those opening verses and we see that, that the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God being made man, is set in the context of history. This is not some esoteric religious experience that we're describing, but something that happened in a real place in a real time. You know, we read that it's in history It's in a a time when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. It happens in a society, the Roman Empire. There's a real ruler, Caesar Augustus, mentioned here. 
There's a census that's taking place. There's a family that what the mother of the or the wife in this family is pregnant. There's a journey that takes place from one place up in Nazareth to the to the other place in Bethlehem. And there's a birth. All very normal kinds of things. And so it's very unremarkable in many ways, but the Bible is clear and intentionally sets the context of the birth of the Son of God in the real place of Bethlehem. And doing that, making, giving us these, these very normal, mundane kind of details is such a, a remarkable contrast to the importance of the event that it's describing. I mean, think about how important this event is that it's describing. The whole Bible before leads up to this. And the whole Bible after this reflects on it. But the record itself is very simple. Look at verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Just that. It's like at the end of Jesus' life. We read simply, and they crucified him. Without a lot of the detail that we might wish for or hope for to understand. It's a simple record of a simple birth, a simple story. Verse 8 also begins with something very mundane as it again shifts the scene for us. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Stop there. This scene, too, starts with the normal, natural happenings in first century Palestine. A group of shepherds with their sheep doing their shepherding of these sheep. The text tells us that it's nighttime. The stars shining down in the fields outside of Bethlehem where the shepherds of Bethlehem are keeping their sheeps. Sheeps, sheep. It's quiet. The eyes of the shepherd, of the shepherds, have adjusted completely to the darkness of the night. They're sheep. They have them gathered together there, as would be done at night. Perhaps the shepherds are sitting around talking about the day's events. Perhaps just sitting. But that's where the unexceptional aspect of the story ends. Because next we read. In verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And it wasn't that that the angel sort of walked up from the distance to them where they were sitting. They didn't see a figure on the horizon in the glow of the moon perhaps and watch as the figure comes closer and closer. No, the, the connotation of this phrase that it appeared to them points to a sudden action. In fact, one of the other English translations says, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. So picture this scene, if you will. The shepherds, they're probably not discussing theology. Maybe they were. Probably not. Probably not sitting there reading the Hebrew scriptures, simply out in the field alone with their sheep. They are suddenly confronted by this messenger from heaven. As Mary had been just nine months earlier, Remember that episode. An angel, probably the same angel, came to this young, engaged Jewish girl named Mary and announced to her that she was to bear a child, a unique child. 
a child that would be called the Most High God. Likewise, that angel had come to Joseph, her betrothed husband, and told him that despite what was about to take place, that he wasn't to hesitate to take Mary for his wife. But unlike the time that this angel stood before Mary and before Joseph, there's something different about the way in which this message is delivered. Because the text doesn't say only that an angel of the Lord stood before them, but what? It says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. See how unnatural that is. How supernatural, how amazing, how glorious now is this, the context around this message as these messengers come. You know, some messengers in our society come with something that indicates whose authority they they come with. A a police officer will have a badge and a uniform. Some, a judge will wear a robe. But this angel is accompanied not by a badge or a robe. He's accompanied not merely with his own glory even, and that would be enough, because angels are, are glorious beings, but we are told that he is accompanied by the glory of the Lord. Verse 9, again, an angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of God, not just the glory of the angel, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of the God of Israel. The glory that shone from a bush in the wilderness in Midian such that the bush burned but was not consumed And God said that the whole area around there was holy ground. The same presence that later on the mountain of God caused the face of Moses to shine so much just from being around it that he had to have his face veiled. The same glorious presence that guided the children of Israel as a pillar of fiery cloud day and night through the wilderness. The same presence that filled the the tabernacle, that filled the temple. The same blinding radiance of the presence of the I Am. The glory of the Lord ignited the sky at a time when, when the angel appears in, in, in order to accentuate this, what the message is, who the message is from, to put God's exclamation point to the statement that this angel is about to give. And in what may be one of the great understatements of history, we read, They were filled with fear. Or they were terribly frightened. Or the King James, they were sore afraid. Do you think so? Contrary to what we hear on the radio today and the television today and hear about in in churches today where people who obviously have no idea what they're even talking about, who they're dealing with, say in a flippant way that they've been in the presence of God. Contrary to that, these men are faced with the real thing. The Shekinah glory of God, the presence that caused Isaiah to cry out, Woe is me, I am ruined, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. The same presence that called, caused John, the apostle, to fall down as dead, the Bible says. 
His glory, his brilliance, his splendor is here accompanying the angel. Believe me, they had reason to be afraid. They don't know what was coming. Remember, it had been 400 years since God had spoken to anyone here on earth. And besides, consider the fact that these guys are not prophets or priests or kings. They're not men of God. They're shepherds, working guys. They had plenty of reason to to be afraid, or we can excuse them if they were afraid. But to instill terror in these shepherds is not the purpose of the spectacle before them. It's not the reason for the angel. It's not the reason for the, the glory of God being accompanying them. You know, the shepherds may have been expecting judgment, a judgment from God upon them. What other reason, they might think, could, could, possibly, could there possibly be for this nighttime visitation? But in the midst of, of their fear, the angel said something to them very odd. One of the most common commands in the Bible, as it works out, something oh so beautiful, Oh, so comforting to them. The angel says, fear not. Fear not. Here's the message from the God of all comfort coming from the angel to these shepherds. Don't be afraid. This is not an oracle of judgment coming, not a message of doom, not a pronouncement of a curse. I'm not here, the angel might say, to bring an announcement of judgment upon you. One of the groups of people I want to talk to in heaven are these shepherds. And say, tell me about that night. An amazing story. But rather, the angel says, this is a message of comfort. That's the message of the angel. A message of comfort. And and according to the angel himself, a message of great joy. As the Christmas carol says, this was and is tidings of of comfort and joy. And it is that message, it is these tidings that we want to look at for the rest of our time this morning. And isn't this the message of our God in the incarnation? One of immense comfort, one of immeasurable joy, one of immeasurable mercy, one of grace and mercy, as well as one of of justice and judgment. Both are aspects of the message of the incarnation. The one who has come will save his people from their sin, but he will also on the last day judge the world in righteousness. But the focus this night, the focus in the incarnation, the focus in the first coming of Christ is the focus of comfort and joy. We sing, and we're going to sing at the end of our service this morning, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Well, here before us is the debut performance of that song. Read along with me the message of the angel to the shepherds in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That statement is so packed with meaning. 
I just want to spend the rest of our time on that statement for the rest of, of our message this morning. And I want us to look at five things that are contained in that one verse, that brief statement of the angel, that announcement, that earth-shattering announcement, that sky-shattering announcement. And they all relate to the joy that the angel says that he brings in the message. The first thing is the joyous time. The first reason that these tidings are joyous is because of the time involved. The angel says, this day, to the the shepherds, this day this thing has happened, this very night. Boy, talk about being in the, the right place at the right time. These shepherds nailed that. They were fortunate. By God's design, by God's providence, of course, to be in that particular field on this singular night. Now, how providentially fortunate they had no idea at the time that they were there at the announcement of, of one of the main focal points in the history of creation, the history of redemption. This is the day, the very day, that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world. The day that the Messiah had come. By the way, when Mary had visited her cousin Elizabeth several months before, and Elizabeth greeted her with the words, Blessed are you among women? Well, that was because Elizabeth recognized that Mary was honored by God with a blessing that stretched back through the millennia to the beginnings of the race. You know, part of the reason that, especially in, in the Jewish People among the Jewish people, that women were so concerned to bear male children was, of course, in addition to typical things like the continuation of your family and the name and of the race, there was among the Jewish women a hope that according to the promise of God that she might be the one to bear the promised one. Because this was a promise coming all the way from Adam and Eve. The seed of the woman would come to crush the head of the serpent. And the women hoped that they would be the one to bear that seed, the one who would be the man of God to defeat the enemy of God. But now finally, Mary is the one. Not because of anything that she was, anything that she did. You'll remember that she magnifies not herself, but her God. And she said, let it be to me as you have said. Now, obviously, well, maybe obviously, hopefully you know that this was not, didn't really take place on December 25th. The Jews don't even have December. Plus, this time of year is, as you probably noted the last few days at least, far too cold for the shepherds to have been out in the fields at night with their sheep the way they were, and it doesn't work out with the the timing of the year and the growth of the sheep. But whatever day of the, the year it was isn't important. The fact that it was the day that God had ordained, that's what is important. As I mentioned earlier, it's a time that the Apostle Paul calls the fullness of time. The the culmination of time, the perfect time, the time which had been decreed from eternity past. The time which the prophets had predicted and for which the angels and God's people had waited. And a time for which the triune God had planned and worked and arranged. That time had come. 
And that caused the tidings of the angel to be tidings of a great joy because of the joyful time. The next thing is that it's a joyful place. We sing, O come all ye faithful, we sang this this morning, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, come ye to Bethlehem. Another reason that these were joyful tidings concerns that place. The angel came and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The city of David, that's Bethlehem. This is the place that was prophesied to be the birthplace of God's anointed servant, the Messiah, and his son. The prophet Micah said, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, or Bethlehem of Israel, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth, goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The priests at the time knew this. Remember, that will come up in a little bit. They will report that to Herod, quoting from this very passage. When Herod asks where this Messiah was supposed to be born. They quote that to him. And then again, going back to the history of this, you know, the fact that this decree came at the time it did, and the nature of the decree, the call of the decree for people to go back to their towns to be enrolled, that was also orchestrated by God. The prophecy was that he'd be born in Bethlehem. If that hadn't happened, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. But to fulfill the prophecy, God caused the Roman emperor to call for a census. Whether it was a special one or a regular one, a recurring one, there are discussions about that. But called for all the Jews to return to their place of birth so that they could be counted. And we read read that Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. The perfection with which God confirms his word by orchestrating all of these events so that the Son of God would be born in the right place, in Bethlehem. That's another reason that the angel brings us, is the, angel, the message that the angel brings is a message of a joyous place. The third thing, apart from a joyous time and a joyous place, is, a joy, is the joyous event. Consider Mary. She's carried this child for nine months. She's ridden on donkey back, most likely, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 70 miles. And now the joyful event has occurred. For any mother, the birth of her child is a joyful event. But the angel announces that that the joy of this event is greater than just for Mary. Greater than Mary or any mother could imagine. The cosmic town crier here says, For unto you is born in the city, or this day in the city of David, a Savior. This day in the city of David, first, he says, is born. We pass over that pretty easily. But that is the miracle, isn't it? That's the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation. The miracle of miracles, that the second person of the Trinity, eternal and infinite God himself, has taken on human flesh and come and been born. John says that the living word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
This is the supreme miracle. God made man. For unto us a child is born. And in this joyful event, the creator of the universe, the creator of all men and women, willfully veils his divine perfection, divine, immutable, infinite, omnipotent God in infant human flesh. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation is a a great mystery, one which was absolutely essential to the redemption that Christ was going to obtain by his coming. You see, you, you remember that it was man that sinned, and since it was man that sinned, man had to pay the penalty for that sin. But if God had not become man, he could not have paid the penalty for man. And so on that night, he did. He became man. Christ, who was and is completely God, also became completely man. The incarnation, the enfleshment, it is the only hope for mankind. And its announcement is truly an event that qualifies as good tidings of great joy. It's a joyful event. But after that, we have to look at the joyous purpose. Notice carefully here what the angel says. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He doesn't say, Unto Mary is born this day. And he doesn't say, as our Christmas cards often portray the angel as saying, he doesn't say, For unto us is born this day. No, because Jesus did not come for the angels. The angel says, for unto you is born this day a Savior. This event which the angel announced, which the angel prophesied, which which this angel accompanied later by a great multitude of angels has come to announce is not for the angels. The angels were told elsewhere long to look into these things. And though Mary is included with all sinners as part of those for whom Christ has come, the focus of this event is not on her. He didn't come just for her. Christ has come for mankind. He's born and some 33 years later he will die and rise again for men. The Redeemer comes to redeem mankind. The book of Hebrews says that it was not angels that he helped but he helps the offspring of Abraham. We also see that this this good news, this gospel is a tiding of great joy, the angel says, for all the people. Not just for the Jewish nation. He's speaking about the fact that it's broader than that. It's not just for the Jewish nation, but for all the people. When the Christ child is brought to the temple to be presented to God shortly after this, we read of a man named Simeon who was promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Christ. And this devout man, Simeon, who had waited, for years has been waiting for what Luke calls the consolation of Israel. And when he sees the the Christ child, Jesus, he blesses God and he calls the baby Jesus both the glory of thy people Israel and a light of revelation for the Gentiles. He comes for both. And so the tiding of the angel is a great joy to both Jew and Gentile, to all the human race. 
Because everyone who will call upon the name of this child will be saved. So the joyous time we've seen, the joyous place we've seen, the joyous event we've seen, the joyous purpose we've seen. Now let's look finally at the joyous announcement or pronouncement. This is the keynote of the angel's proclamation. The time and the place, all of the circumstances surrounding this event are all merely the supporting players in this great drama of redemption which centers ultimately not on a place, not on a time, but on a person. And not just a person, but according to the tidings of the angel to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, it is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the humility of his birth and, and, and all of its situation is contrasted again by that pronouncement about who this is. Who is this baby? Lying in an animal's food trough, the humblest of surroundings, lies one of the most fragile, weak, dependent creatures in all of God's creation, a human baby. Without his mother, he would not survive. He has to have almost everything done for him. Without any natural defenses, unable to communicate, except through the most rudimentary way, by crying, this particular baby, born to very poor parents, in a nation in bondage to an oppressive empire, this child, in that situation, In a borrowed manger, this child is proclaimed in the fields around the town by the host of heaven, accompanied by the glory of God. This one who is born on this night and whose birth we celebrate in this season is defined here in three amazing ways, as Savior, as Christ, and as Lord. As Savior. That was also said to Joseph by probably this same angel that the son who was to be born to Mary would be called Jesus. He said, has said, the angel said, For it is he who will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. And that, of course, is the mission of the babe in the manger to take away the sins of the world as the Lamb of God. And it is in this that the true joy of these angelic tidings can be seen. In this Savior, people can find forgiveness of sin and perfect righteousness. This child will fulfill his mission and will save his people by keeping God's law perfectly and by dying a death of a lawbreaker so that those who trust in him for their salvation may have their sins paid for. That's you and I. And will have the very righteousness of that perfect son credited to them as their own. This is he whom the angels proclaim. And we miss, we miss the highest meaning, the highest joy, the highest purpose, the highest glory of this, this event that we celebrate at Christmas if we leave Christ in the manger and don't remember, or yes, don't remember that he was born to go on to live and to die for us. He is a Savior. He is also Christ. And we know that Christ is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one chosen, appointed, and anointed by God and come and do, to come and do all of this, all that's necessary for the salvation of his people, predicted throughout history, from the very dawn of time, 
through the writings of the prophets, through the proclamations in the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden, God said, He's coming. In the writings of Moses, we read, He's coming. In the time of David and of Solomon, they said, He's coming. The message of the prophets, He's coming. But now on this night, this angel doesn't say he's coming. He says he's here. He's here. God's Christ has arrived. It is the fullness of time and the anointed one of God has taken on human flesh and he's lying in a manger in Bethlehem. He's not only the Savior, he's not only Christ, but the angel says he is Lord. Don't fail to miss this as well. The word Lord, of course, in the New Testament is the translation of the Old Testament word for the personal name of God. The angel is telling the shepherds and telling us in this proclamation that this is not just one who is coming to do the will of God, though he does do the will of God. This is not just one who is the servant of God and who is anointed by God and who is appointed by God But the angel says, this is God. This is God. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yahweh. I am. What greater tiding of greater joy could there possibly be than This that is proclaimed by an angel to a lowly group of shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem that God himself has come to save mankind. Come to us by virgin birth, we sing. Beloved people this morning, the message of that angel is the message of Scripture. As we look at the baby in the manger, we hear... The words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's not a message just for one day, not for one season of the year. This is the message of the gospel. And it's not a Christmas message. It's the Bible's message. It is the message of God to us all year around. We have been given, beloved, good tidings. A good message. Good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And it is a great, great joy indeed as you celebrate, as you meet with family and friends, as you open presents as you do all of the things that we do around this season, don't forget. Don't forget what we're celebrating. The world's celebrating something completely different. But we as Christians, we as the church, are celebrating this good news, this great proclamation. We are celebrating this simple and yet more profound than any other message, the Christmas story that unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And to that let us say,
Our Father, we are humbled again, and especially in light of considering these things, we are humbled to consider that you have chosen to save us. We who have on our own no concern about being saved, no no understanding, no comprehension at all of our danger. No desire to have you send your son to take our nature, to die the death of a criminal in our place, though he was innocent. But you know that that's what we needed. And you know that was the only way that we could be made right with you. And so because of your loving nature and the love that you set upon us, you did it. And we rejoice in what you did. We rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in his condescension to come to take our nature, a nature that he still has and will always have. We pray that you would help us to remember Christ, to focus on Christ, to rejoice in Christ and to sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let that start with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.